Yes, sir, your boys are back. Thank you all for listening in to this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. That is right, Sports Talk is back. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. I know we've been on a bit of a hiatus. It wasn't necessarily a planned hiatus. And, of course, you've seen us doing other content. Of course, Hero Talk's been going up fairly regularly. You've seen the Imperial Broadcast going up. We've done plenty of YouTube content, particularly around the draft season. And if you're interested in that stuff, I still suggest you go and check out uh, New Generation Media stuff that's going up on YouTube. But a Sports Talk podcast has been a little bit of a minute. It's been a minute, I can't lie. Again, it wasn't necessarily a planned a hiatus, but some of the stuff happening in our lives and some of the things that have been going on, it, it kind of kind of forced this kind of extended break. A lot has happened, especially when it comes to the world of the NBA. Uh, the Celtics are not NBA champions, much to Kendall's chagrin. You know, our last episode, there was a chance the Celtics may be NBA champions, and that, that did not happen. Um, so, you know, we have a new NBA champion. We have a litany of NBA Trade rumors, trades that have already happened, free agent signings, baseball season now at the all-star break, well past the midway point, NFL season getting ready and revved up as well. So a lot is happening. And trust me, if we were trying to recap everything that's happened over the last month and a half or so, we this would be a three-hour podcast. So you ain't getting that. Oh, we're going to give you the stories that have been dominating the headlines for uh, this week. And any other like miscellaneous uh, ideas and thoughts that may come in our head throughout this episode. So I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be joined by my guy, Kendall Stewart, who joins me here as well. Kendall, it's good to good to have you back, man. Yeah, man, good to be back. Um, you know, like you said, we've we 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 missed a lot. I mean, I, I you know, you sort of I sort of don't even remember, you know, a lot of the stuff that we we talked about last. Um, I'm sure, you, uh, I'm sure you blacked it out because you were you were talking about you know being encouraged about the Celtics winning an NBA championship and that did, yeah. that did not happen. Yeah, um, we did have the draft, uh, so we had a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about regarding that. Uh, Summer league uh, has come and gone, so yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff regarding basketball. But we'll get into some a lot of good, a lot of interesting free agent trade topics, but um, also some baseball. Some interesting yeah. baseball going on. Uh, we we just had the Midsummer Classic, EJ. So uh, what was your impression of that? Yeah, man. We had the All-Star Game this weekend. And, you know, I said it on Twitter, and I'll say it again. Uh, to me, Major League Baseball has by far the best All-Star weekend. I And that's sad for me to say. Not necessarily because I have any beef with baseball. I love baseball. But you guys know me. I'm a basketball head. I grew up playing basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. And I have long long drank the Kool-Aid and fought the good fight of saying that NBA All-Star Weekend was indeed the best All-Star Weekend. And I think I was right for a while. Um, but that day has come and gone. It's probably been gone for several years now. Major League Baseball, despite another year where the viewership declined in the All-Star Game, they still had the most uh, people watch the All-Star Game compared to all the other major sports. That includes the NBA, NFL's Pro Bowl was a joke. And the NHL's hockey all-star game. Major League Baseball still has the highest rated all-star game, which is impressive considering when it comes to average TV ratings, they rank third amongst those sports. But it still it was on the decline for the fifth uh, time since 2015. But it has the best all-star weekend. I mean, that, that venue, Dodger Stadium, the times in which these events started. So you got the sun setting, the palm trees in the background, that home run derby. You want to talk about big time? How about Julio Rodriguez in the first round, jacking about thirty something home runs? 
Juan Soto, all the all the drama surrounding him. We're gonna talk about him on this podcast. Him stepping up and you know beating our Pujols in the semis and beating a young Julio Rodriguez. You know he's only two years old than Julio. Uh, beating him in the in the uh, in the in the championship round to win the 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 home run derby. That was electric stuff. Of course, he you know Pete Alonso losing to Julio in the second round. Alonso being the 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 back to back champion trying to go for a three peat. The theater on Monday night was spectacular. And then you combine that then with All-Star, the All-Star game yesterday. And, again, the pageantry. And Major League Baseball, they just crush their All-Star game every year. The only thing that annoyed me this year is, once again, these stupid uniforms. Kendall, I don't understand. Baseball, sometimes, like, they get in their own way. Like, they have this perfect thing where all their players wear their team uniforms. And it's a gorgeous sight. Like, there's so many colors on the field. It's just visually very appealing. And instead, they went the route of these other failing All-Star games, to be quite frank, like the NBA and Pro Bowl and these other game leagues, by saying, oh, let's give them you know specialized uniforms for the American League and National League. Nobody wants that. And I think, to be fair, I did like that each individual uniform had the accents of their home uniforms or road uniforms for those teams. I thought that that was a good touch if they were going to do that. But... Come on, man. I wanted to see Pete Alonzo in the orange and blue. I wanted to see Jeff McNeil in the orange and blue. I'm sure Yankee fans wanted to see, you know, Aaron Judge and Stan who had a 450-foot bomb wearing the gray and navy. Like, we didn't need the gold and whatever the hell they were trying to do with those colored uniforms. So, I was very annoyed at that, and that really bothered me. <laughs> but besides that, overall, really fun weekend. I just wish that baseball could find a way to kind of you know stop the bleeding because it's it's terrible that you had the picture perfect all-star event in the picture perfect city picture perfect venue some of the results you had in terms of what was happening was perfect in terms of the home run derby and you still have decreased ratings that's a little bit disappointing um yeah, I mean, look, real quick, I thought that the All-Star game was, uh, the All-Star weekend was 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 good. I mean, like you said, baseball's All-Star weekend is always really good. Um, I think the one the one thing for me, with it's sort of like the NBA. I think I have less of this with the NBA than I do with Major League Baseball, maybe because it's on a weekday, is by the time, like, I get to the All-Star game, I'm kind of like, Oh, I forgot this is going on tonight. You know, like mm-hmm. the like the home run derby is like almost like the main event because like a Monday, and then it's like another back to back nights on the week. You know, my week are are spent. Uh, beginning of my week are spent with 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 baseball all star festivities. So I think the timing of it is a little awkward, but um, obviously it's a tradition. Um. Especially, I probably felt it this year because they they decided to throw the draft in during this uh, weekend, which as someone who watches the MLB draft every year, uh, in my mind was unnecessary. I'm sure other people may have helped drive interest. It may have helped drive, uh, you know, in-person, you know, viewership and in-person engagement. But, you know, didn't it didn't make me want to watch it more so. It just kind of or didn't make me want to watch the all-star game because i watched the draft uh but yeah um but it, i don't know i guess again 
You know, it probably was cool for them to have the draft in L.A. Supposed to happen in some some studio. Uh, yeah, the little bit I watched the draft, I thought it was I thought it was lit. I'll be honest. You know, yeah. being they were outdoors. Um, you know, again, a lot of kids were there. I, I thought they, yes. I thought it looked great. I, I, a lot of what baseball did looked great, which is why I look at these rays. I'm like, oh man, like yeah. besides the the stupid uniforms, which I'm sure some people liked. Where do you stay on the uniforms, by the way? Do you, are you do you agree or, or do you, did you like those uniforms last night? I didn't love the uniforms. It's just one of those things where I accept it because I understand they're trying to make money, but <laughs> um, but it's I, Kendall, you know, Kendall's I been Kendall's been beaten down by the uh, by the by the you know the the, the stuff that cap- comes with the stuff that comes with capitalism. Yeah, he's just like whatever, man. I know what's going on here. I'm not even gonna complain about it anymore. But. I, you know, I I think honestly it comes down to with something like that also like the uniforms have to they have to be nice and I, I don't think those those are nice uniforms I think like in general but I just they don't look good combined at the same time it just looks very one of the uniforms is literally gray but it just looks very gray and bland and like you said no 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 color no imagination so and um, think about how they looked yeah. during the home run derby when they were wearing their own uniform that looked sweet like Kendall I just sent you a text. And shout out to uh, Vintage Bubblegum, the Instagram account. I love this account. It's literally an account of just old baseball pictures. And I don't know what it is about old baseball pictures. And I don't know what it is about baseball where they have these guys kind of always like posing on the field. But it just looks awesome. These guys look like studs. And it's one of the best sports accounts you can. Follow them on Instagram, Vintage Bubblegum. But I sent you a picture. I sent you an Instagram account of these past All-Star games. With them wearing yes. their uniform, and look at this. I mean, you got Doc. I mean, excuse me, uh, Daryl Strawberry in his his blue and orange, standing next to standing next to you know uh, Jose Canseco in the Oakland Athletics uniform. You got Barry Bonds in the the Pittsburgh Pirates white, standing next to Randy Johnson in the in the old school Seattle Mariners, not the newer Navy, but the you know the the Navy the the royal blue and the yellow uh, uh the yellow logo. Like these, these are legends. Like these are classic pictures. I mean, I'm looking at our uh, uh, Willie Mays with Gil Hodges. Like, why would they mess this up? Like, I don't. <laughs> like, why? Like, this is perfect. I don't know why they thought that this was something that they had. I know why. Again, like you said, it's money. But it's sad, man. Like, some things like don't need to be changed. Some things aren't worth that extra dollar. And if you really want to change the course in terms of making more bread figure out the rating situation like this is something that makes me want to not really watch this <laughs> it was you look the feeding for these kind the feeding for this cash like give me what i normally want and then do other things that can maybe help bring in more bread so i don't know i, I that i know i'm going on a tangent about the uniforms but that that is something that like really bothers me because it's like one thing that baseball does is i think is so perfect <laughs> And when I saw last year that they like we're gonna change this, I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you like I know why? I'm not gonna keep asking that. But it's like this is not worth it. Trust me, it's not worth it. And to think that the only thing that would have made that also game even better, uh, it would have been nice if National League would have you know had a hit <laughs> after the second first inning. But the only thing would have been perfect was seeing those guys in their normal uniforms. I even like the. Remix they did to the hat with the you know with that star on the hat for each of the players which we saw during the home run derby like you could have put that on their regular hat yeah. and that would have been cool like I I again a lot of the stuff that baseball does with All Star Game is super dope which is why it's the best by far 
The Home Run Derby is great. That new format continues to be awesome. But that was the only thing that kind of was a damper. I did like, by the way, that the game, Kendall, was going to be an extra innings game, that it would have been a home run, mini Home Run Derby to decide the winner. Also, those that rules, would have been electric. Those rules are so weird because, like, that's such a – it's not, like, super rare, but it's, it's pretty rare occurrence to have a rule like that, like a rule change. I hate rule changes where you're not actually going to see the rule come to fruition. Like, you know. Yeah, we've, not had, we've not had too many extra inning games, or we were close. We were, I mean, I, I say we were close, but then you saw Emmanuel Classe get on the mound, and you realize we were not close <laughs> to get even one run score in that ninth inning. But we, we have been close in recent years, and we were close last night. I almost wonder, like, I love that rule. Like, when I everything I read about it, I'm like, this is actually perfection. I do wonder if maybe, like, this should just be, like, a part of the game. Like, if you're really going to get, like, this is an exhibition, we do whatever you want. Like, right? Like maybe, like, the fourth inning is, like, a home run derby or something like that. Like, I don't know. Like, like I thought, like, maybe there's something you could do even more to spice the game up so that we actually right, get to of, see this. Yes. Maybe the fourth or fifth innings is a home run derby. Or maybe, like, after nine innings, there's still a home run derby. <laughs> no, right. And you know, if you're up by ten runs, and you, you probably doesn't matter, you're gonna win. But like, if it's close, then we get to see who's gonna win. Kind of like how the, what the NBA does, which I think is this is baseball. Guy, I think I think stealing from the NBA a little bit. What the NBA does with the you know the time, the, the, taking away the time and putting the score up, and and how the game gets very intense at the end. I think baseball's kind of taking a page out of that while also trying to protect their pitchers and a lot of their players. This is, I think, I think that would be a way to maybe you know maybe even remix this even harder if they really wanted to go that route. Yeah, yeah, I feel like, you know, that, I mean, that could work. The problem, I guess, just you just have to, the traditionalists that are just going to be like, this isn't baseball. You know, this Yeah, is and that's the thing, now. though. That's the one thing that, like, like I liked watching that game last night. And we recorded some of our podcast, so I didn't get to see all of it. But I liked watching that game because, as I saw someone mention on Twitter, like, the baseball all-star game in many ways is very perfect because it's, it's just like just any other game. Yes. Like, we when we watch the Pro Bowl, when we watch the NBA All Star Game, and I think when you even watch the NHL All Star Game, like you can very tell this is nothing like the sport it's just and the product you normally watch. It is a scrimmage with zero defense, zero intensity, and the NBA All Star Game does a good job of at least towards the end. It does get very intense and it is very fun, but you got to sit through two hours of a layup line essentially to get to that point. Baseball, I mean, these guys are throwing 100 miles an hour in the first inning. Like a lot, the in best some ways, pitchers against the best hitters. Yeah, and in some ways, the pitchers almost look like more jacked up than they are during the regular season because especially a lot of these starters, they know they're only going one inning. Innings, yeah. They don't want to get embarrassed. So they out there throwing 100, you yeah. know, like, and then they're not, they're not saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, pick my spots. I'm not, you know, dance around these guys because also, they, these, you know, their stats, this doesn't, this doesn't affect their stats. So they're they throwing strikes. And it's, yeah. and you see these guys going up against, again, Shohei Otani. And Aaron Judge and Vlad Guerrero Jr. And again, some of the best, best hitters, Mookie Betts. And you're seeing the best on best. It's 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 perfect. And the games get weird. Sometimes, again, last night the AL pitchers were just dominant. But that's what happens because these guys are legitimately dominant pitchers. But sometimes you get, you know, track meets. We got a game that's 11 to 8 because, you know, these are, again, the best hitters in the world. Which is, that's what makes it great. Like, the NBA also guy, I know it's going to be 160 to 185. <laughs> I know what that's going to look like because no one's playing defense. Here, it's just a game. You know, it's a little different. You know, guys only throwing one inning. There's a lot of substitutions. But basically, people trying to hit, 
people are trying to catch, people are trying to throw, and people are trying to pitch and not get the ball get hit. So the game doesn't change, which is why I think the All-Star game for MLB still rules. But let's get to uh, the, the big topics we got for this week, Kendall. And we'll talk a little baseball a little bit later when we talk about Juan Soto. But um, we're all waiting to see how the next domino falls in Utah after the Jazz traded All-Star center Rudy Gobert to the Wolves for, count them, five first-round picks. It was four first-round picks. There's a pick swap in there. And then also Walker Kessler, who was a first-round pick this year, was also in the deal. So however you slice it, if you want to put the pick swap in as the fifth pick or Walker Kessler, essentially five picks went to the Wolves for Rudy Gobert. Still an unbelievable haul for the Utah Jazz. That team is now listening to offers for all-star guard Donovan Mitchell. Utah has been engaged with the New York Knicks on a package that would send the Westchester native to MSG, but so far those talks have stalled. There have been varying reports on exactly what the asking price is for Mitchell, but the Knicks reportedly rejected a deal that would have included Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and count them six first-round picks for Spider Mitchell. The Knicks are seen as the favorites to land Mitchell because of their treasure trove of draft picks and their enticing interest in Donovan Mitchell. New York has eight tradable picks they they can include in any deal. So a lot of people look at that and say, Knicks seem like they're in a good position to make a move happen. Mitchell has ties with Knicks president Leon Rose. Of course, Mitchell is a client of CAA. That is the sports agency that used to be led by one Leon Rose. So, Kendall, I love I can't wait to have this conversation with you because you have a unique perspective on this situation because you follow the Knicks by contact. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, you know people yes. smoking uh, by contact because you listen to me and my dad or our dad rant about the Knicks over and over again. You watch a lot of the games sitting right next to us. So you are extremely familiar with the Knicks history and the Knicks roster. You also have a long history of understanding the psychology of one Danny Ainge from his time. Daniel R. Ainge. <laughs> which goes back decades, or at least a decade, maybe even two. Over a decade, yeah. Yeah, over a decade, uh, running the Boston Celtics. So I think you present a unique perspective and a solid perspective because, you know, I'm coming in with the Nick Rose-colored glasses. So given that knowledge that you have, what do you feel like would be an adequate package that would appeal to both the Knicks and the Jazz in order to get a deal done? Yes, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like the Utah Jazz, well, first of all, on the Knicks, the Knicks side of things, um, obviously, I think it makes 100% sense to get Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I feel like, you know, Mitchell's value, I think, has... Agreed uh, by that. Yes, uh, I think his value has d- decreased, um, and his he, he's becoming underrated. Um, you know, I think he's a he's a case of a guy who early in his career could almost do no wrong because he was, you know, underdrafted, and he was sort of always, he's always going to outplay his draft slot, being one of the, the the one or two or three best players in the draft class. Um, yeah, he was over delivering with everything yeah. he did. Yeah, everything he did, he was over delivering. He was he was a borderline superstar, you know, almost as many steps in the league. And um and I think, you know, obviously we haven't seen that much growth, particularly in like his like his numbers, you know, like he's 
He's he, he kind of is what he is for that Utah Jazz team, and he's been that way, you know, for the most part ever since he's he's been in the league. He's, we've seen some some uh you know some some evolution in his game. Uh, he's I think he's a much better player than he was uh, obviously when he got into the league, and he's a much better player than he was two years ago, for example. But um, but but we also now you know are seeing some deficiencies, and a lot of people are starting to pick apart some deficiencies and. You know, his playmaking ability, you know, his ability to get others involved, his uh, defensive prowess, you know, mm-hmm. um, something that obviously came into the league, you know, with a reputation as a guy that people thought would, would be a would be a big time defender. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're, you know, we're now seeing people saying, oh, I, I don't want Mitchell. You know, we got Emmanuel quickly or we got <laughs> quick and grind. So I'm like, come on now. <laughs> We got Quentin Grimes, and oh, I, you know man. me, I love Quentin Grimes. Come on, I know Houston. the guy's the guy's great. He's a great. I think he's a very good young prospect. But you know, I mean, this is Donovan Mitchell we're talking about. So um, he's literally the perfect guy, uh, especially if you're just talking about starting a team. He's one of the perfect guys for the Knicks to build their new regime around. Their new, um, you know, sort of cornerstone pieces around because he's. Age-wise, uh, you know, you're talking about a player that's only he's going to be 26. Um, you're talking about uh, a guy who can really score the basketball, which obviously um, this is a team that that lacks a, a, a true number one option offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and his defensive, you know, deficiencies are, you know, you hope something that could be overshadowed, you know, in Tom Thibodeau's scheme and his system and. Uh, that Tibbs can get the best out of him defensively because we know he's got the physical tools, maybe not the size, but the athleticism, Speed, and strength, strength, right? Speed to 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 defend. He was a great defensive player, at Louisville, like yes. I mentioned. So he can do it. I think honestly, I think the defensive part uh, has a lot to do with the fact that in Utah he was tasked with doing so much offensively. And yep. you know, I talked to our dad about it, you know, you know, last week. But I mean, we people have to remember that. I mean, Julius Randle, you know, as much as Knicks fans don't like him, you know, if he's on the team next year, he's he probably the best offensive player Donovan Mitchell's ever played with in his mm-hmm. career. You know, I mean, the, obviously Rudy Gobert has been that guy, not the best offensive player, but he's been the best, he's been his running mate. And that's a guy who we don't look to as anything of an offensive threat outside of being a lob threat, a vertical mm-hmm. rim spacer, but, um, the vertical floor spacer, I should say, but, um, you know, but, other than that, you're talking about Jordan Clarkson obviously could fill it up as a guy off the bench. And Joe Ingles is sort of like a poor man's R.J. Barrett, you know, in terms of being a, you know, a big guard that can play, make, and score a little bit. Barrett's going to give you a more, uh, you know, a more explosive version of that guy. Um, so, I, you know, this is going to be a much better offensive team from a personnel standpoint. That he's a, the system is going to leave a lot less to be desired. Right. Yeah, it, definitely. But, but he's going to play with more talent. So you hope that defensively he'll be able to put more into that side of the ball. And he's playing with a real point guard, you know, and he's obviously he's played with Ricky Rubio. He's played with Mike Conley. Um, but now playing with Jalen Brunson would be a, another good fit as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's on the Knicks side. But to, to real quick on the Jazz, it's interesting because, I mean, when the Rudy Gobert trade happened, I like it took me like a, a, a good week or two to like remember that, like, oh, man, like, that was Danny Ainge that got all those draft picks from yep. from Minnesota. Like all, all these people saying, "How did they do it?" I'm like, I, you know, I mean, I've lived that. 
Yeah. Now I know what it's like to look and be, find some season <laughs> random yeah. and end up with all these draft picks. Um, I know the other side of it now. But, yeah, yeah, and now you're on the side of trading draft picks for you know veteran, veteran yeah, players. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little cringy sometimes, it's but little, little I'm different. getting used to it. It's this different energy, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting used to it. You know, first time I mean, we traded our first round pick for Al Horford, I was like, are we, "What? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> we just we traded Kemba. We, we dumped a pick." <laughs> and, and, but I know that we we would end up in the finals because of it. But, yeah, and we did it for Derek White. And I was yeah, like, ah. and you did it for Derek White too. Yeah. So we're back at that with Brogdon, but um, but no, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the the Utah Jazz, I mean, honestly, I think a return. I think they're clearly very focused on the picks as a as a picks based return, um, which to me, I don't know about you, EJ, but to me, I think this sort of signals that I think they're trying to get into the mix for for Victor Wembanyama. I think they're trying to take. Oh yes. Um. I don't think they're in, like, yeah, they can say they want RJ Barrett or they could say they want like all these assets, but like, I don't, I don't think they're interested in being good next year. I don't and, think so either. You know, like, cause you're telling me, I mean, <laughs> they didn't trade Rudy Gobert for anybody, like anybody that's going to help them. Nope. So I, you know, I mean, Malik Beasley, <laughs> you know, I guess it could yeah. help them a little bit. I mean, in fact, they know. couldn't even get McDaniels, which is like, what? Yeah. You know, and McDaniels is a good young player. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. And even he's not some guy I think is going to win you a bunch of games. I'm like, y'all right. didn't even want they, they, they like, we don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> Just give me Pat Beverly. I'm like, <laughs> what is going yeah. on here? So, yeah, I think I think they're very focused on being bad next season. And and mind you, I think next year's draft, you know, beyond Victor Wembanyama, there's a lot of really good prospects. I mean, obviously, Scoot Henderson has been a lot yeah. of excitement. Uh, the Thompson yeah, I think Twins. that this is a a – borderline two person i think the nba teams see this as a borderline two player draft like i know women yama is absolutely the grand prize i also think there are a lot of teams that want to get in the top two because they want scoot henderson badly yeah no, and I that's why i think, team, I think that's why right. teams are more inclined to really tank because they're like yeah. okay even if i don't get one i think i'm getting a franchise guy at two yeah i'm probably getting a number one level guy at two right so 100 percent, and so i think that if you're if you're the Jazz, you want to get in this game. We're seeing multiple teams. I mean, we saw that we're seeing the San Antonio Spurs clearly get in this yep. game. Um, their fans are, are, are battling Dejounte Murray on Twitter as we speak uh, about Kelvin Johnson being the new franchise player. You know, I hope you like Atlanta. We got Kelvin Johnson signed long term. So uh, they're they're. That tells you all you need to know about the Spurs. Yeah, man, that's they, they uh, down bad over there in San Antonio. At least they got, the, at least they got the Riverwalk in the Alamo. Yeah, and, and, the and basketball team ain't providing much right now. Oklahoma City and and you know teams like Oklahoma City and Houston will you know will be at the bottom. Yeah, they're perpetually so. in that. Yeah, in that field, yeah, yeah. yeah. Regardless of whatever moves they made, they're 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 going to be in the mix. So, um, so yeah, we already see teams getting in that mix, and I think Utah's trying to enter it as well. And so I think. This is going to be an unusual package because I don't think that, like, you're going to see a lot of draft picks being traded, but I don't think it's going to be in part. Like, I, think, I think a lot of it would be because they don't want much value on the player side. Like, they'll, tra- they'll try and get young players on you get a trade for nothing, but I think we're going to see a lot of draft picks for, you know, and then, but, but like, it, this, this is, I think it's plausible that this package is built around Quentin Grimes and, like, maybe one other. Maybe uh maybe one of quickly and topping, 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, I told you last week, EJ. I don't. I, I think there's a very strong chance that neither one of those guys is moved in a Mitchell trade. But um, things have slowed down on the Mitchell on the Mitchell thing. But I still think he gets traded before the start of season. I agree. I think he does get traded before the start of the season. I think the reason why things have slowed down was because I think I think Danny Ainge tried to pull a fast one. I think he came to the realization. I think he's always wanted to tank. I think that was like as soon as you make the Rudy Gobert trade, or really as you know Brian Windhorst, we weren't even again doing the podcast when his whole you know rant went yeah. viral. But as soon Brian Windhorst, yeah, as soon as he traded Royce O'Neal, we really saw what time it was. Really, cut Eric Pascal. Yeah, cut Eric Pascal. You trade Royce O'Neal for a first round pick, which is an unbelievable return. Two of Donovan Mitchell's best friends on the team. Like again, some of this is like yeah, some of this we, is very obvious. I wasn't born yesterday. Right, exactly. We were not born yesterday. So, clearly, you're going to rebuild plus tank. Because sometimes you can rebuild, but like put good players around people, which is what they were saying they were doing. But it, none of the, what they were doing just added up to that. Because one of the trades was for just a first-round pick. And in the Rudy Gobert trade, they took back scraps. You know, like, I think, I you know, you know me, I've actually liked Jared Vanderbilt for a long time. Since I saw him in Summer League when we, you, you and I were in Vegas a couple years ago. And he played well for Minnesota last year. But, I mean... If he's the best guy you're getting in terms of, oh, okay, this guy might be a future piece, then, oh, boy, like, you really are not trying to do much. So I think Danny ain't tried to pull a fast one where he's like, okay, I know what I want to do, but they'll give me Grimes topping in quickly and those picks? I mean, like, why not? Like, like <laughs> why would I not take that? Like, I don't think those guys can really help me win next year, but I'll have a damn good foundation and I'll have all these picks. And I think they thought that they could fleece a, I don't want to call them a young front office because they're not young, but a inexperienced front office. You know, a front office. And even that's maybe a little harsh because, you know, someone like uh, Scott Perry's been around forever. Walter Perrin's been around forever. Um, obviously, you know, Rose, yeah, Rose and, been around. And, and Wesley are not. Been, they've been they in these 12. backdoor <laughs> dealings and in Rose, even non-backdoor deal. He was a real agent for, you know, forever. And um, but you know Brock Aller, who actually is you know there was a great article by Fred Katz this week, uh, who's the athletic beat reporter for the Knicks. Shout out to him. He wrote that you know Brock Aller, Aller is actually the person that f- makes calls and fields calls for trades. He is really the first line of defense for the Knicks when it comes to trades because he is the person that knows all about the cap, and right. that essentially. Perry comes in as like as an advisor on or or as a relationship guy, which was a little surprising to me for certain moves. Like they needed Perry to get the OKC that uh, day draft trade because he has a good relationship with Scott Perry with uh, with uh, Presti, and he was in to kind of smooth relations with Detroit for because he has a good relationship with uh, with with Weaver, who's you know who's uh, the GM of Detroit. So and Aller, you know, he, he so far I think Aller's been great when it comes to the cap stuff and maximizing value resources yeah. for the most part I have some issues to draft, but I've kind of moved on from that. It, he is very new. I think in that kind of position where he's making calls for trades. So I think Danny tried to pull a fast one. I think he didn't maybe know exactly who he was dealing with. Cause Aller is known to be a stickler for not getting swindled and getting as much value as possible. So what I think he thought may be a quick deal turned out it wasn't going to be. Which is why I think when you see this reporting, only the original reporting, I think, matters. Because the original reporting was Knicks are pursuing 
they all of a sudden the Jazz changed their minds and now they're opening the trade talks and the team that they seem to be zeroed in on is the Knicks. The first thing we heard was some package somewhere around Quentin Bryans and a bunch of picks. That seemed surprising to a lot of people and even to me a little bit. But when you consider that, you know, for one with R.J. Barrett, the just me, the Jazz don't want to have to pay R.J. Barrett a massive extension starting next year. So even though RJ, I think R.J. is absolutely the kind of player that would be very comparable in a trade like this. They don't want that kind of player who's due that kind of money so soon. So that's why he's not really there's room like some some trade some reason for saying oh he is in the deals some saying he's not I don't think he's gonna get traded at all I have no I have I have like initially I did have a lot of concern when whenever we talked about Mitchell because of RJ now I have no concern about RJ I think these other guys that keep getting thrown in there they make more sense but I think it's gonna be about how many of those guys Danny can actually pull from the Knicks and that's where the leverage game comes in. I think that's why now you're seeing these reports of, oh, the Jazz actually wanted, you know, quickly end Toppin. I I do think he did give them that ridiculous offer, and Nick said, kick rocks. But I think the original reporting that they want something centered around Grimes is probably where this deal will end. I think it will be something centered around Grimes. I think it may be a difference of, is it reddish in the deal? Or is it topping or quickly? Right. I don't think they're going to get both of those two guys. And I think if there's a chance that the Jazz don't have to take Reddish, I think they prefer not to. Because he's also up for an extension. Now, he ain't going to get nowhere near the money R.J. Barrett is. I don't think, I think that's why they would, if push can and shove, they would take him. But I don't think they prefer to, obviously. I think that's where this deal is really going to be made. I don't think the pick thing is as much of an issue for the Knicks. I think that is more posturing. I know right now the word is that the Knicks have been trying to really push these protected picks that they have, which is smart business, but they're just not going to get it done. You know, I, I hate to say that, but and and I think one of the, some of those protected picks will be in this trade, but you ain't going to get Donovan Mitchell for a, a what is largely protected picks. You're going to have to include some of your unprotected or maybe most of your unprotected to get it done. Knicks will eventually realize that, and if it means they can keep a lot of their young core which I think makes sense for them, then I think that's where the deal will be done. And the reason why I feel confident that they'll be able to do both is because of what Mark Stein reported today, or recently, or yesterday, was that the Knicks are somehow involved also potentially in a Russell Westbrook move and that the move be made to dump Julius Randle's salary, which when I saw that, it almost brought tears to my eyes. When I saw, because when I saw Julius Randle pull up the summer league and start taking pictures with the Knicks, I, I I almost wanted to throw up. I'm like, you cannot tell me this guy is in good graces and he's back with the family. I can't I cannot deal with what we dealt with last year. But just like any good mob boss, they, you know, they know when to you know when to when to make you when to cut bait as soon as they see fit. And perhaps that is what Leon sees, where he's like, I'll play nice with him right now, but his minute. I can dump that salary. He, we're getting him the first Uber and plane ride out of here. So when I saw that, I said, okay, that makes me think that Leon thinks he'll keep Obi. Because why would you even be talking? You can't, You as much as I hate Randall's game, make it clear, don't hate him as a person, hate his game, I don't, you can't lose Randall if you don't have Obi Toppin. Someone's got to start at the four. They don't have a starting four right now. Yeah, if if not in that move. <laughs> and even you cannot start Melo in 2022 and 2023. 
So I think, and I think the fact that Melo hasn't signed is <laughs> is something, especially when you consider he was in the same restaurant as James Dolan not that long ago. But I think that's where this. I think this is a long game that the Knicks are going to play. I don't. I don't really agree with the people that say that the Jazz have all the leverage because the Knicks they solve their their pressing need that they really had to solve this year, which was they need to get a starting point guard. They already got that with Jalen Brunson. That was their most pressing need. The, no one's saying the Knicks need to go to the championship next year. No one's saying the Knicks need to win around the playoffs. I think anybody with any real expectation would say, if you're the Knicks, hopefully you get into the play-in and maybe you can make the playoffs. So this, like, if people keep saying, oh, the Knicks are this desperate team that has to get Deion Donovan Mitchell. I don't understand that. They have all these young players. They have all these draft picks. If Danny Ainge's price really is outrageous, they could always just balk and say, all right, we'll try to find the next star that may be available. I don't think they want to do that, which is why I think the deal will eventually get done. But I don't – good luck for Danny Ainge thinking that he could bring in Donovan Mitchell in training camp with, you know, Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly and and that things are going to be good. Things are going to be be cool. I, I think that that would look crazy. I think he kind of showed his hand by – I think he showed his hand a bit by trying to flee to Knicks the way he did. I think he thought he could get this done quick and out of there. And if he would have done this quietly, I think bringing Mitchell back actually would have been more reasonable and more possible. I think he's kind of made it impossible now, which is why I think he's now looking at other teams saying, all right, what will you give me? And as it turns out, teams are saying, I don't care what you got for Rudy Gobert. That was a stupid trade, and I'm not giving you that for Donovan Mitchell. So, We'll we'll see who's right or wrong, and this is all just opinion spe- speculation. I don't got no. Sort One thing of, I can say, but I will say, I don't think this narrative that the Knicks are some desperate team that's going to just give up the whole entire farm for Donovan Mitchell, and that they have to, or it's going to be dark four. I think it's more likely that Danny Ainge, maybe not tomorrow or next week, but I think by training camp, Donovan Mitchell's got to be in another uniform. What I will say is, I don't think that the I don't think that he is as Danny Ainge. We know he's not afraid to make a trade late into the offseason. No, he's um, not. We we seen we saw with the Kyrie deal with Isaiah Thomas that you know he will go well into July, August if need be um, to make a deal. It could be a blockbuster deal. So. Um, I don't think he's in any rush. He's probably playing golf as we speak um, to make this trade. But uh, their timeline, I mean, when you're a team that has nothing that you have nothing to play for right now, like they could they could try they could decide to trade Donovan Mitchell whatever they want. You know, I mean, ideally they want to trade him so they can start losing games. But I don't think they're going to think they I don't think they think that they're going to be very good either. What they have to avoid is, you know, I mean. Right now, the roster is 40-win team, you know, probably around that. And that's the last place you want to be is purgatory. So you want to avoid the, that. The last place you want to be is purgatory. But I think I think purgatory, and I agree with that in a vacuum, but I think there are different levels of purgatory. I think that there's purgatory where you have maxed out on your assets. You have old, long, old aging roster with long-term contracts. And no upside. And then there's purgatory of you have a lot of young players 
and you're building around a young team and you don't have crippling they do have some bad contracts but for the most part they don't have crippling contracts and okay maybe your ceiling is a championship but you're you have the foundation to build something that is heading in the right direction i for the knicks that's why i don't think they view this position they're in currently as some position of weakness you know what i'm saying like there's a difference from being like whatever that remember that detroit piston team that like made the playoffs but lost in the first round to i think I want to say it was LeBron's Cavs. Like, yeah, you know, Jackson. Like Reggie Jackson was their best player. And they had Stanley Jackson, Stanley Johnson, but it was like, you know, Andrew, Andre Drummond was on the team, and KCP was about to get a big deal that they knew they weren't going to re-sign him. Like, there was no hope. Like, it was like, okay, you made the playoffs, but this is a one-and-done, and you guys are going nowhere. Like, I don't think the Knicks are that. I think there's – you feel like R.J. Barrett can get better. You definitely feel like Obi Toppin and Grimes and Quickly can get better. And you just signed Mitchell Robinson to eh, not a cheap deal, but not a crazy deal. And he's just starting center for the future. I think Randall and Fournier are the two guys you look at and say, okay, what about these two guys? And I don't have an answer for you right now. Those guys really shouldn't be on the team. I can accept Fournier as a sixth man. I've been calling for that since, like, January. I really can't accept Randall being on this team under any circumstances. And that's a problem. They got to figure that out. But And, it, and it's, it's definitely a problem, but I don't think it's like this. It's not, again, the purgatory of, like, oh, man, we just have no recourse and no way of getting better. Like, they, they could just get better within their roster. Again, I'm not – they don't have a championship nucleus, but they could become a much better team with the guys they got. Real quickly, do you feel like there are any other teams besides the Knicks that the Knicks should be concerned about coming in and really making a big swing? Like, shout-out to my guy Anthony Gallo from uh, WFAN. He he noted that like he thought Cleveland was a team that kind of worries him because they do to have get Don Mitchell. Yeah, because they have young players and picks, and I don't know what's gonna happen with Colin Sexton. I don't think Utah wants him, but he is a guy out there <laughs> that could be moved, uh, especially just for salary. Uh, we've mentioned my uh, we haven't mentioned, but people have mentioned Miami, though that Miami's interest in Don Mitchell seems very unclear because they also seem to be interested in Durant but the Durant thing seems almost impossible to them we're going to get to that next so you, I would think that okay if you, they should be I, I like the whole like the last report I saw was that the Heat have like they're, they're, they're they have their crosshairs on a Durant trade and they really don't care about Mitchell right now I don't think that's smart I, I really actually feel like because I don't think they got enough to get Durant I think that they could I don't want to say they make a great offer for Donovan Mitchell because I think people have overrated the Heat's offers. I mean, any deal that includes Duncan Robinson is just barf. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? like like that guy's <laughs> making a hundred million dollars and he couldn't play in the playoffs. Like that is not a good piece at all. You cannot include him in a trade and say that this is a valuable piece. And Tyler right. Hero, whatever you think of him with RJ Barrett, and and that has been like a long-standing argument. Among like five percent of NBA Twitter, but is an argument that's been going on since both their rookie years about who's better. It doesn't even matter what you think. It's still the same issue about signing them long term. Harrell wants yeah. a long term extension. Barry wants a long term extension. So if now, cause now some people have said, well, are they more inclined to give Hero an extension for reasons? I don't know, but if I'm taking them at face value that they're not trying to give that that kind of money right now, then why would you want Hero over? Why, why would that make any sense? So, 
The Heat have I mean, offers, we, but funny. I don't. I don't like. Do Do you feel like they they stack up? We heard the report that um someone in the in the Utah front office is very fond of, of Tyler Hero. Yes, and you know a lot of all the jokes are that it was D Wade, but uh, he's a Miami Heat guy. But I, I mean, I've mentioned on the show before that Ainge was a big Tyler Hero guy coming out of college. So yeah, and I've seen a couple of people. I know a lot of people want to be asking Kobe say, "Is this just possibly Danny Ainge?" <laughs> yeah, and I think it's possible. I know the Celtics I, were pissed. It's very public. Uh, I know I was pissed, but I know the Celtics were very pissed when he was picked one pick before uh, the Celtics were picking to go to Miami. And, and you could tell because they panicked and took a guy who probably shouldn't took, have went there. Yeah, yeah. Romeo so and Romeo Langford, so plays the exact same position, you know. And I remember you could you could tell when you watch a post you know post draft press conference. I know the Knicks don't do press conferences anymore, but <laughs> no. they just have uh, you know state media you know <laughs> interviews or whatever you want to call it. Um, but you know I remember during that post draft press conference when they drafted Romeo Langford, like. You know, they were kind of asking Brad Stevens and Ainge, "Why? What do you like about him?" He's like, "Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he's a good player coming out of high school, uh, from Indiana, so you know, you know, and, like they didn't have anything." His, his name is Rome. His name is Romeo. Yeah, he's got cool hair. Yeah, he's got cool hair. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, and there, and then there's other times we watched it. You know, like, oh, they they love this guy, like, yeah. and and that was not that that was not one of them. So, yeah, I think they really wanted hero in that draft. So I, I like. But at the end of the day, like I still think that Ainge is, like you said, is very focused on, 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 on draft capital. The thing that's curious to me, I mean, I know Ainge is doing his job, but selfishly, I mean, he's, a, he's an old guy. You know, he just retired from his Celtic job to take this more cushy CEO, you know, in and out job that he has in Utah with his boy Ryan Smith. Is does he like? Does he really want to like? Does he? he can't, he's not going to be doing this for ten years. That's Wait, the, that is the weird thing about this. getting eight draft right. picks. Yeah, that like, is the weird. Yeah, that is the weird thing about this, and that's kind of why, if I was a Jazz fan, I would be a little wary of what Danny Ainge is doing. Not necessarily that like the Rudy Gobert trade was bad. I don't think it was bad at all. And whatever this Mitchell trade ends up being, I don't. I don't think it will be bad for Utah. But I think it is. It, I would be wary of that. Where it's like, do I really want a guy who is? Made it very clear that he don't want to be in the day to day grind, being yeah, in charge of having do being in charge of having fifteen picks. Like, is he really committed to like the scouting that's needed to know yeah, who the drafted guys are? Does yeah. who are you trading for? Like, are they going to trade for a guy that's actually going to sign there? Like, what is his actual plan? I don't. He, he talking about people don't not saying much. The Jazz actually do talk to the media, but the stuff they say doesn't even really make sense. And you could tell, like, a lot of it's BS. You could tell they're lying to you when they say the stuff they're saying in the, in the press. So if I was a Jazz fan, I'd be a little uneasy about that. Not not necessarily about a rebuild. Not, they got to blow that thing up. And, yeah, you're going to have to tank. Like, you, this is just happening. That's going to happen. You got to get over that. I do think who's running this and where his head is at based on what it will take to make a rebuild successful, I think, is is something to think about. Not necessarily to freak out about or panic about, but I think it's something. I will to say know, real I think quick, you're right about that. Not, not to. Hold and on I want to say one more thing before you say this, but yeah. Okay, I will just make the point that as a jazz, if you were a jazz fan, and, and like this whole deal with Mitchell is not good for the NBA. And I know we say this every time a, a, a young star or any star is, you know, seems like they're one foot out the door of a of a small market. Um, 
And maybe Mitchell's not good enough to make that case that this is like, you know, a travesty for the NBA because like the Jazz are willingly, I mean, sign long term. Yeah. Like, I'll, yeah. I was going to come back to you and say, I think this is different than the other ones, but go ahead. But like beyond the team perspective, from a fan base perspective, I mean, again, for everything that I talked about, Donovan Mitchell being perfect for the Knicks market. I mean, he's perfect. He was perfect for, for, for the Utah Jazz, Jazz market. In yes. terms of, Definitely. Like a guy who embraced being the face of a franchise. This was coming off of Gordon Hayward leaving the team out to dry on the fourth of July, you know, yeah. and signing with the Boston Celtics. And, you know, to 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 come back that same offseason with a guy that you drafted who balled out in his debut at Utah Summer League in front of all your fans yeah. as Hayward was on the way out. And from there to day one, been your team's franchise player. Um, it's been one of the again one of the one of the faces, one of the young faces of the NBA in Utah. Um, you know, I I mean I would argue the, the 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 biggest most marketable player they've had since Carl Malone. Like they, you know, I mean this is quite the quite the shock. To like you know, I mean, he was John Morant like just two years ago. <laughs> yeah, John Morant like leaving, leaving the Grizzlies two years from now. Like we'd be like, what? You know, and in the market like Utah, like they're not just again those guys are just growing trees. I mean, they had Darren Williams was a great player. Yeah, and but to be honest though, Kendall, I almost feel like they're almost a prisoner of their own success because because the success was so fast and yeah. like I think maybe it's not the maybe it's not the reality. Maybe we will never know. But the perception, I think we all we all kind of agree, is that we saw their ceiling, which is yeah, crazy. Cause this guy's this guy's twenty five years old. You know, Rudy Gobert is in the prime of his career. Like, there in theory, there's no reason why they couldn't play try again next year. Like, in theory, there's no reason why they can't do that. I almost but feel like they're because they the... got good so fast. It was just like, oh wow, well, all right, well, this is the best they could do, so we just gotta give yeah. give up. You know? I, I almost feel like they're skipping like the Damian. Like, they don't want to be the Damian Lillard Blazers, where they're like. We know what we're gonna be with Donovan Mitchell as one A and not really right. having a real yeah, one. Maybe B. we'll get lucky and get to the conference finals one year. Yeah, like maybe maybe we'll get knocked out of the first speed. round. Like who knows? Right. <laughs> you know, but but it's gonna it's not gonna end up in a finals appearance or a championship. Right. We're just gonna be paying this guy like half a billion a gazillion dollars, you know, to be a sixty, which is what the Blazers are doing right now. So like I don't know. Like maybe they're just saying that's not that's not what we want to do. Like Mitchell's not a good player to 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 go through that. Yes, we're gonna lose a lot in terms of ticket sales and jersey sales. And well, I mean, I don't know who the like who's the face of the franchise right now. Like if you take Donovan Mitchell off the Jazz, uh, Donovan Mitchell's gear is being sold for you know seventy five percent off right now. So ain't hey, bad. You know me. I mean that that's a retro jersey in my mind, but um, that's good value, but. When you talk about, like, let's say it's the Quentin Grimes trade. Let's say it's Grimes and Reddish and, like, nine draft picks. Like, who, like, I mean, Quentin Grimes is going to be one of the faces of the franchise. But, like, who else do you build your team around? Do you say, I mean, Malik Beasley is going to be the best player on the team. Jordan Clarkson. I mean, I know Jordan Clarkson did the jersey reveal, which, I mean, they're going to be wearing those god-awful jerseys as well. Those are just, yeah, man. I mean. A lot of disappointment. <laughs> those uniforms. This is, this is a weird it's a weird time in jazz. I mean, and jazz them and San Antonio are just in like complete no man's land, which is so weird because I just don't know if that has worked in today's NBA. 
I mean, Philly tried it, and I guess it worked because they have Embiid and 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 they had Ben yeah, Simmons. Embiid, now the they have Harden. Thing was like a, yeah, the Embiid thing. I think you could say was a mixed bag. Like it was, yeah, like the process. They, yeah, it was like okay, did they build a team like? The way they were, they they thought they could build a super team like that didn't yeah. happen. Obviously, they they missed on most of their picks. Right, the missed, was a bad but the problem pick. was they missed them. <laughs> right, they you know, Marco Fultz was an awful pick. Right, and and you know Simmons is a. I mean, got you hard. It's on, it's I guess it was nuts. a good pick. Yeah, but like that was number one pick in draft. Like, congrats, right. you know. But like they, you know, like they haven't. They, they only had one guy. They ended up being a generational guy. So, I mean, yeah. but they did still. They, but they are. In a better position yeah, than they better. were when yeah. Pinky got them, and Andre Godal was the best player. So it's yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, it's a mixed bag, you know. There's some people yeah, say, "Oh, it didn't fine. work," or I don't really believe that. But I think people say, "Oh, it's great success." I don't think I think it's more in the middle, you know. Um, <laughs> one thing, one thing I did want to say real quick was if you had to guess Donovan Mitchell's averages during his playoff career, what would you guess? Playoff career, I'm, I would say it's. I would assume it's around his normal 25 to 26, 24 to 26. Donovan Mitchell's averaged 28 points a game in uh, 39 playoff games in his career. Uh, About five rebounds, a little less than five assists on 43% shooting from the field, 37% from three. His team is 17 and 22 in those games. So not the greatest record. But would you have thought? I don't think you would have thought he was a twenty-eight point scorer in his career in the postseason. The way people talk about him, you know, like again, I've heard about oh, you can't win with this guy, and he's not a one so A. It's, 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 so, it's so ridiculous. But like, people I mean, this guy—he he started his playoff career, Kendall, and you know what he did? He blew up the Oklahoma City Thunder. The reason why the, we can talk about why the Thunder are in this perpetual tank that we're talking about right now is because of Donovan Mitchell. His first playoff series of his career, 21 years old, averaged 28 points, 7 rebounds on 46% shooting and got the, the Thunder out of there in six games. That yeah. series that they lost, that they were down, they were up 3-1 three, three, uh, three on uh, on Denver in the bubble. And people said, oh, Utah choked. It wasn't his fault. He averaged 36 points on 52% from the field. Even the series last year when they were the one seed and they lost the Clippers with Kawhi getting hurt. He averaged 35 on 45% from the field. So this notion that oh Diamond Mitchell is not is not is not like that. It's just it's just it's getting ridiculous. I'm not saying the guy's a top five player, but come on, or top even a top ten guy. This guy's a legit star and a borderline superstar. Those are superstar numbers. No one can argue that. I think there have been other issues with the Utah Jazz that have not allowed them to get further than they want. But he's been pretty much a stud throughout his postseason career. He's had some bad series here and there. He didn't play great against Dallas this year. He didn't play great in other series throughout his career. Both times against Houston, he didn't. He struggled. But for the most part, he's been a pretty dominant player in the postseason. And the last thing I want to say on this is I, I've, I, I'm annoyed at this idea. Every time we talk about the Knicks getting any player, but... You know, unless it's like Kevin Durant, which they'll say, you can't get Kevin Durant, which, you know, usually they're right, <laughs> or LeBron. But anytime Knicks are looking at any trading for any player, all I hear is, <laughs> you can't win a championship with that guy. You're not going to, the Knicks aren't going to win a championship with this guy. I'm sorry, the Knicks are the only team in the NBA where if they're interested in a player, the prerequisite of whether or not it is a good deal is if that guy wins you a championship. And it is absurd. 
Because pe- those same people will spend endless days and endless hours complaining about how the Knicks can't get out of their own way and that they're a perpetual loser. But when the Knicks actually try to get good players, it's this guy can't win you a championship. It's yeah. it's like the ultimate, it's like the ultimate like catch twenty two or this ultimate like gotcha, where you, you you're damned either way. If the Knicks don't do anything, it's haha. The Knicks are incompetent; they can't get anything done. And when the Knicks say, "Okay, we can't," you know, acquire, you know, elite, elite, elite talent through free agency. Let's try to trade for star, legit star players. You know, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, whether it was even C.J. McCollum during the trade deadline this year. It's like, oh, the Knicks think C.J. McCollum can win them a championship. Like, no, there's no other team in the NBA where we do that. Where every time they make a trade, it's or with Jalen Brunson, even the, the signing of him. And we could get into it, whatever. We don't got to get into it now, but we could argue about the money and whether he was worth it. He's, he's being paid as a 12th best point guard in the NBA, 13th best point guard. I don't see that as ridiculous money, but whatever. The the thing the biggest thing was like oh you're signing Jalen Brunson that guy doesn't win you a championship like you keep saying the Knicks are a poverty organization why should every trade they make or every move they make mean this guy wins them a championship in fact it's more likely that any trade they make is not going to be for a guy that's going to win him a championship because it's so bad isn't that the whole point yeah. that 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 is like the stupidest talking point I've heard about this Donovan Mitchell situation is you shouldn't trade for good a good player. Because you might not win a championship with him. Who the hell cares? You're trying to get become a better basketball team. You're trying to win games. And you have to get... You can't... You got to crawl before you walk. You're not going to just go from being a perpetual bottom feeder and then turn into a championship contender next year. I know we think that could happen because of what we've seen with the Lakers and what we've seen with the Heat. Like, But LeBron was involved in those two situations. Newsflash. There aren't any other situations you can point to and see a team that was a bottom feeder that made one move and all of a sudden they're a championship team. So please stop, people, with this stupid talking point of the Knicks trade for a guy and you don't think he can win a championship. That means it's a bad trade or it's a bad signing. It's stupid. And there's no reason to keep bringing it up. And I feel like I just had to say that because I've been hearing that over and over again. And it is the dumbest talking point by far of this Donovan Mitchell Knicks jazz fiasco. Yeah, yeah, I think, you, I think you said it all. With that being said, let's head over to the other side of the East River. Things have slowed down to a, quote, trickle in the sweepstakes for one Kevin Durant. The Nets forward requested a trade from Brooklyn last month, and while teams had initially expressed interest, the latest from ESPN's Brian Windhorst is that the Nets have not been actively engaged in talks and as I mentioned, that the Durant market has slowed down considerably in Windhorse's words to a trickle. So, Kendall, at this point, do you think it is more likely Kevin Durant is in Brooklyn at the start of the season? Or do you feel like another team will step up and make an offer that the Nets can't refuse? Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think he will, I think he'll be back, but... Really, it's it sounds like there was a massive disconnect between Durant's value around the league and Durant's value in the Nets' eyes. Mm-hmm. What he when the return that he should be getting, and I don't think it's because people don't value Kevin Durant as a player, or that people don't think Kevin Durant is as good as you know people think he is. Because I, I don't think that's the case. Um, 
I think Kevin Durant is every bit the player that everybody thinks he is. I think he most teams around the league, you asked him, say he's top one, top two, top three, at, at least probably. But the thing that makes the Kevin Durant trade awkward, and it's not his contract because he signed long term. Teams aren't worried about him being a flight risk. It is the the age mixed with what the Nets are asking for. Like, yeah. it is is it is a hard trade to put together when you're talking about Durant's championship window being at 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 the longest, the length of that contract, the next whatever three years. You feel like is how you feel like. It's the time that you feel yeah. you have to compete for a championship. With Kevin yeah, and Durant could be your guy player. is your best player. Exactly. You yeah. said it best. I didn't even have to interject. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, he's going to be turning 34 at the end of the season. I just can't imagine past 37. Like, he's he's going to be – you're going to be able to say, yeah, we're, I mean, maybe. But even, like, look at LeBron. Like, LeBron yeah. is, like – it's kind of foolish to think that LeBron could be your team's, like – you can just carry a team to a championship at this stage of his career. Like, and LeBron, like, and I think it's fair to say, too, because LeBron also hasn't even dealt with the the severity of the injuries that KD no. has already dealt with. No, he hasn't dealt with the severity of the sprain, Of course, that terrible ACL, excuse me, Achilles tear that he yeah. dealt with. And these injuries seem to be piling up. He got injured this season, like I said, with the MCL. He had a hamstring injury last year. So exactly, that, I think that's a that's a part of this as well. And so, I, you know, I think that we have te- these teams around the league that are like, we're, we have these very specific situations where, you know, I mean, the big team that everybody was talking about was the Phoenix Suns. And obviously that's been blown up after, you know, Aiden decided to go nuclear and say, I'm just going to sign an offer sheet with the Pacers, uh, forcing the, the forcing the Suns' hand. And now, um, now they're out of the mix. And it, it, there really isn't a great, other option for the Nets to go to unless you're going to take less than the Kings ransom. I mean, Woj was going on TV saying the Nets are going to get the, the greatest trade package in the history of sports. And I had never it didn't make any that. sense. I never it made that. I'm like, for a guy that's 33 coming off of a, a crazy injury a couple years ago, yeah, he's a great, yeah, great, great, great player. But like, I mean, we're going to talk about Juan Soto in a second. Juan Soto's mm-hmm. 23. Right. Like, yep. There's a reason why every team in the league, you know, and that's in a sport where there's no max contract. Right. And there's no salary cap. There's no salary cap. There's no max contract. These teams are just like, they're still like, hey, we'll line up because he's 23. We'll give him a 15 year deal. Yeah. Like, like that's, that is the, you know, that's the kind of player that's going to get that crazy kind of thing. Like if Luka Doncic was on the trade block, if even Giannis, who's not like young, even Giannis. You know, he's like the equivalent of like Shohei Otani being on the trade block. Like he's in his prime. Like you feel like you have a good five, six, seven, eight years of this guy being the best player in the league. Durant, there's a chance we look a year from now and be like, yeah, Durant. You know, he's not. He's not even top three. You know, he's he's fading. You know, like it's unlikely. I mean, Durant, as great as he was this season, he's still probably be a top five, top five player for the next five years. But until maybe until he retires. You know, that's how great of a player Kevin Durant is. But I you know that the, the the there's so little teams that feel like if we gave up all of our assets, all of our best young players and draft picks, and added Kevin Durant at his salary, and made all the salaries match, 
that we still have a chance to win a championship. With the yeah. Suns, if they moved Aiden and all their other young guys and just had Booker, Paul, and Durant, probably felt that way. Um, the Miami Heat, you know, if you talked about doing the, the whatever you, you give up for Mitchell and you're finding a way to keep Bam and Jimmy Butler. That's the and problem because they, they can't even trade Bam if they wanted to. Yeah, can't. Bam can't go to he can't go to Brooklyn as long as Ben Simmons is there because yeah. of the whole CBA issue with two guys in their rookie extensions. Yeah, or so rookie max extension. You know, like the Heat, it would be great if they could have a find a way to keep Jimmy Bam and 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 still get Durant, but I don't think they have enough. Like so, yeah. I, I mean, there is no trade out. I mean, the 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 team that to me. And I said it early on, and I know. Shout out to to, to M Grads on Twitter because he's been teasing it for months. And you know, I mean, look, this guy was sitting courtside with Durant at a at a I want to say it was a uh, uh, L.A. Sparks game, you know. And uh, he also was obviously very close with Bradley Beal. But I think the Washington Wizards are not as far out of this deal as you know people would think, you know. And I. He, he's been throwing out there for months that, or at least for, for, for weeks, over a month, that Durant to the Wizards is like the underground thing that people were talking about. No one's talking about it, you know, above ground at this stage. Right. It's finally, I saw, I think this week, um, I want to say maybe Sam Amico threw out like, oh, maybe the Wizards, are, you know, are a team that people are now starting to talk about. But, I mean, the Wizards don't have like, they don't have great assets. Like, they don't have all these great young pieces, but they have young pieces. Yes. That, <laughs> Kel's like, they're not, Kel's like they're not great, but they are young. Yeah, they are young. <laughs> um, like, you know, like, could you, and, and, and I know the Nets, again, they, they keep asking for this crazy package. I don't think it exists. But, like, to me, I think a feasible trade is all your draft picks, at least as many as we can get, and all your young guys, like Denny, Rui, I mean, some combination of Denny, Rui, Kispert, Johnny Davis, all these dudes. Yeah, well, did they sign? Did they sign Davis yet? Because if they signed, they probably him, he probably signed Davis. He probably yeah. can't be traded until December. Yeah, well, not December, but it's like thirty January day. now. Or yeah. oh, it's, it's, a, it's only thirty days. days. Okay. Yeah, remember yeah, like right, Andrew, right. You're right about that. Right about that. So I'm thinking about. Like, I'm thinking about the free agents. You're you're right about that. Yeah. So, like, so that you know that trade if it's Johnny Davis, they'd have to wait. But like that, that to me is, like, the trade that makes the most sense of a team that's just like, yeah, we'll gut all of our draft capital, all of our thing to get Durant, and say, we got Durant, Beal, Durant's home, we got Beal signed long-term, and we'll just see where this goes. Because we're right now, we're there in no man's land as a franchise. Now, they got to match that salary, and that would be a little tough with some of the guys you named. Like, Yeah, they would have which, to Which is where on KP that. maybe comes into the play, but he's making a lot of money, so how many of those other guys can you include? Is that... That will make this a little awkward. You know, usually right. you can you make it work. Uh, you know, some, maybe it's not like all. Trust me, there's some guy just, on Twitter who's already made it work. Some Wizards fan yeah. on Twitter has already got to uh, the trade machine and has made it work for Durant going to the, the Wizards. But it, it's not necessarily as easy as just throwing in all those young guys just because their salaries are so low. You know, all those guys are mid lottery picks. So talking yeah. about guys making five years. five million. You know. You're going to add so many of those guys to get to forty million, which is what Kevin yeah. They have two thinking. dudes on on max contracts and Porzingis and Beal, right? So it just makes everything awkward, right? It's very weird. And the next guy is like, I think it's Sadoransky at ten million, yeah. And he's I mean, he's literally just a 
he'd just be a salary filler. And it's only ten million, so you still got it. Oh, the thirty Kuzma. million gets it. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, Kuzma too. Yeah, he's in there as well. I guess he's at thirteen million, so he definitely go. So those would be your two guys that are your salary fillers, and then you'd fill it up with again every guy they've drafted in the first round in the last three years. Yeah, and you know the guy, the return on those guys has been very mid. I mean, yeah, quite frank. I, so there's I, that I aspect like to it. I like the package better because I like all those guys. Coming I mean, out. I like yeah. it better. We, me, and you are both inclined to like it more. Like two of those guys went to Gonzaga, so I, I yes, right. I, those names mean more to me than they do to maybe almost any other NBA, you know, fan that's not a Wizards fan. But yeah. and you like those guys coming out. Yeah, of the draft. I like Hachimura, like Denny a lot, like Johnny Davis, obviously. So yeah, and yeah. Kispert would be in there as well. So yes, so so it's weird. I think. So here's my thing on this. I feel like one. I think the NBA is coming to a realization that I already came to, pretty much the minute he requested a trade, which is that Kevin Durant is not worth giving up your entire farm and everything you have for unless you're a select number of teams. Because as you mentioned, like the offer that the Nets are looking for really doesn't exist for CBA reasons, for just the way other rosters are constructed and the way teams view roster building now. Like there was a time in the NBA where you would see stars get traded for stars. That was a thing that doesn't really happen anymore. Like, you don't see a team say, we'll trade you our all-star and we'll get back an all-star. Kind of like what we saw with Kawhi Leonard going to Toronto for DeMar DeRozan. Those trades, and honestly, the Spurs might have been the only team that would have done a trade like that, to be honest. Because they were trying to still win. Like, those trades don't really happen. And the Nets, Kendall, are the opposite of the Utah Jazz. The Nets, they're not interested in tanking. Because they don't have all their first-round picks anymore. So they're like, we're going to get a return that allows us to still compete. They know they're probably not going to be, I don't even want to say at the same level because the Nets were a first-round exit. But they might not be as favored as as much to get to the NBA Finals or to make a deep run. But I think they still feel like, hey, we I guess we're still going to have Ben Simmons and I don't know what the hell's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. But if we get like you know, what they were asking for, which was like an all-star player and a young player and all your picks... <laughs> That I mean, yeah, they, yeah, that doesn't, first of all, that doesn't exist. But, like, if that's what you think, then, yeah, you think you could be a good team. So that becomes a problem in these negotiations because no team's going to meet that offer because as great as KD is, you just laid it out. He's going to be 34 years old. He has an injury history. And I just saw him in a playoff series where for three out of the four games, he looked old. He looked old. He's getting his shot blocked. He's playing against younger, more physical guys who were bothering him. And yep. – I think that I does not say that Katie isn't a top five player, but at a certain age, you can't handle that kind of you can't handle that kind of load. No pun intended. Like you can't like like there's certain things that you can't put your body through and force yourself to do when you get older and older. Doesn't mean you still can't be great. Like Katie went to the Nets and he's picking these super teams for a reason. There's a reason why when he put his list out there, he's like, Give me to put me to the Suns, who was the number one seed in the Western Conference, or put me yeah. on the Heat. The number one team in the West, because I mean in the East, because it was no, it was it was very low maintenance. He don't got to be a leader because those other teams got leaders. They don't he don't got to build a culture. Those teams already got cultures. He literally just got to come in and score thirty, and yeah. do it with with no real defense in terms of people double teaming you and triple teaming you. Like he don't got to worry about none of that. 
Like he saw yeah. last year playing without Harden and 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 Kyrie how difficult that was, and he was so close, but he came up just a tad bit short. I don't even want to say he came up short because he played great. The Nets came up a little short, and then he saw this year when Kyrie was acting like a bozo after Game One, and he saw he had to do it by himself again. He can't do that anymore. Yes. He can't do that, and there are very few guys who can do that. And so, so when you're another NBA team, and you're saying I'm going to gut my team to become what the Brooklyn Nets were the last two years. It doesn't make any sense. You're not going to exactly. win a championship and, and or be at that you, level in that in that situation. To, to further your point, EJ, like, have we come? At, has the NBA? And this is a little bit of a eureka moment for me right now. But have has the NBA come to the realization, like, like, are we witnessing the death of the super team era? Mm. A little bit, mm. because we we've now gone two NBA finals, and I don't want to I don't want to get ahead of myself, you know. <laughs> and then like tomorrow, I wake up and Durant's back in Golden State, you know. And then all oh, well, it's back. But I feel like, you know, obviously we talked about last year a ton with it being Milwaukee and Phoenix and small markets and new teams, new franchises that we haven't seen in that stage in a long time. Um, and this year, obviously, we had two teams that have been on, on that stage in, in the last couple, last decade and teams that franchises that have been in the mix. You know, obviously, the Warriors won many times uh, in the last decade, but none of those teams really are like your your manufactured, like, you know, three guys decide to join up and, and create some bomb squad like the Celtics. I mean, Frank, quite frankly, you talked about the Celtics versus the Nets. Like, Durant, you know, got outplayed by, like, I mean, like, Jason Tatum, obviously, the high pedigree, pedigree guy, you know, he's always a top guy coming out of high school and this and that. And But, like, Jalen Brown, in theory, I mean, he's a top guy coming out of high school, too, but, like, Jalen Brown, in theory, should not be competing against Kevin Durant. Like, no. you know, he's, you know, he was a, has he made the All-Star game? Did he make it this year? Was this his first All-Star game? I don't even know. Yeah, I think, I think he's a one-time All-Star. Yeah, I think I he's a one-time All-Star. I don't year, think he made it this year. I think he, yeah, he I made it last year. He made it last year. I'm talking about a one-time All-Star. Like, in theory, that's the kind of guy you trade for Kevin Durant. People are still throwing out there. It's also should trade Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant. But, like, they already made the finals with that guy as your second-best player. Like, so I think we're seeing teams around the league that are looking at the Celtics and saying, well, I mean, if Tatum and Brown is good enough to make, to make the NBA Finals and be two games away from a, winning a championship, and I look at, like, the Lakers deciding we're going to get wet, or Russell Westbrook, and and the Nets building the team the way they did, like maybe I just would rather be the Celtics or the Suns or the the the, the Grizzlies or the one of those teams because why blow up something good? I mean, look at like a team like the Pelicans for example. The Pelicans in theory like should be all over Durant if they want to yeah. like accelerate their you know their window of championship contention. Yeah, or yeah, making themselves more more relevant immediately. Yeah, to to win it, yeah, to accelerate their window to start it now and say, yeah, now we're we're in the mix. You know, we have three years, we're on the clock, and if we don't, Zion's gonna leave in free agency or be a <laughs> trade, and Durant will retire. Like, but they, but I think they see that, like, I mean, in, again, in theory, I mean, Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown is for the most part a wash. You know, Zion coming back healthy. If they if they think he can be an MVP level guy, which on offense he's certainly that when he's healthy, like, they may feel like, oh, we're not that far off. Like, why would we trade Brandon Ingram for Kevin Durant, which sounds crazy. 
But you say, why would you trade Kevin yeah, Durant? Yeah, it's, it's, because it's Ingram, because you're also then including Jones, and you're including yeah. uh, the other kid. Uh, Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy. And the, all your first-round picks. Yeah. And, you know, like, in Alvarado. And now it's like, yeah. all right, well, you better win now. And you better yeah, hope Zion doesn't break one. his foot again or come in out yeah. of shape. Like, these things, like now, yeah. like, your margin for error is so small. And, like, look, yeah. maybe you'll never get there with these other guys and all those picks. But... Yeah. You're not blowing that, it up. As, as you see with this Durant situation, and even when you see some of the chaotic situation in L.A., that there's also a combustible element that comes with the yeah. super team that like, I think the also franchise don't want to deal with. The Lakers and Nets have no draft picks for like the next like decade. No draft picks and, and all headaches. No chance. Yeah, all headaches. <laughs> all headaches, I mean, no draft picks. Virtually, I mean... 99 problems and a draft pick ain't one of them. No. And, and they're... they're their championship windows are, are, are almost shut. I mean, the Nets is like the, the, there's just a one percent chance at this point, and the Lakers like you, they gotta try and finagle like some sort of crazy, you know, some crazy sort of crazy science experiment. Yeah, man, we're talking about themselves. Julius Randle right. <laughs> going there in the first segment. Yeah, like, this is like, what we're talking they went about from now. Last week, talking about you know Kyrie playing with LeBron in the Drew League to. You know, is Buddy Heel back on the market? Is Dennis Schroeder back on the market? <laughs> so, they, like, you don't want like you don't want that to be you your, don't want that to be future. you. You don't want yeah. that to be you. Yeah, those the Nets and Lakers are the fifty year old dude at the strip club at three p.m. Yeah, you see them and you're like, man, I gotta make sure my life don't ever become like that. Yeah, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and yeah. teams are seeing that. So I think we act as the death of the superhero super team era i think is a valid question because the like star i said wars I, era, as you like I, to call yeah it. yeah the star yeah i last you know me yeah that's the star wars era as i call it that's what that's what these teams look at it, for a long time it was just how can i stack up the most stars the clippers the lakers the nets that's all these teams were doing but we've seen no very little to no success really the lakers are the only team that won a championship and it was in the bubble whatever that right. means to you it means nothing to me it means more to other people but that's what that is the reality and I think what we're seeing now, I think teams are realizing that no, you're better suited. Again, more like more adding to adding a piece to your already good team. Like, think about this. I hate that T Wolves trade, but the T Wolves are like, hey, we drafted two number one draft picks. They both have hit, and if we now can add an all star from another team to this already homegrown nucleus, maybe we can take a next step. Or you see the Celtics yeah, they, they, making these the little... Nets, Nets went to the T-Wolves and like, give us Cat and Edwards. Like, yeah, and they were like, are you kidding me? So, some teams would have been like, wait, so we, I mean, we get Durant? <laughs> you know, right. we're build with, with Durant. Or they'll, 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 they'll customize and be like, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, let's do Edwards and Durant. You know, now you've got Cat. Or we'll do right. Towns and, and, right. and Durant. Yeah, yeah, let's add like, one and I'll give you all my picks. Right. And let's do that. And they're like, no, we just don't want Durant. It doesn't right. make sense for us. Yeah, it doesn't. It does not make sense for where they are because they know if they they're saying we're gonna move forward with Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert, you're staring at a first round exit. Yep. You're staring at a first round exit. And, and the championship is the is the that's like the that's the that's the goal. And yeah, yeah. And, and like and like unlike the Donovan Mitchell stupidity when it comes to is does this player win your championship? When you talk about a, a elite player like Kevin Durant who is 34 years old or going to be that ha- does have to be your question is does yep. this really give me the realistic shot to win a championship 
And if it doesn't, like these teams are looking at, they're saying, no, I'm not going to mortgage my future for that. And they're right. They're all making the right calculation. So and, and winning an NBA championship is so hard. Like, like Aaron Rodgers, when he was on the trade block, like at the same, it, like it, it, you, every team felt like, oh, if I had Aaron Rodgers, regardless of what my team looks like, I feel like we'd have a shot to win a Super Bowl. Like, that's just not the case in the NBA. Like, no, the Orlando seven Magic, game, seven game series. Like, yeah. NFL is one game elimination. So, in theory, you probably do, but you you can't it's say that. Hyper in the parity. NBA. Like, the Orlando Magic, like signed Kevin Durant in free agency with the team they already have. They don't feel like they have a chance to win a championship. No. They feel like, well, now we have a chance to make the playoffs. Now we're like, now maybe we'll make the playoffs. Right. You know, like Aaron Rodgers right now isn't on a he's not on a good football team. Like take him off and put Jordan Love in there. You know they they know they're a worse football team. But like with 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 Kevin Durant, you know, like the, you know you feel like, I mean, I mean, look at the Nets. Like the Nets without Kevin Durant, terrible basketball team with him, they're mediocre. You know this season. So right. yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 where you're at, and then the age thing is it plays a big part in it. Yeah, I think I think where when it's all said and done, right now, I don't know what's gonna happen because I think something's gonna have to give. Unlike the Knicks Jazz situation, where I feel like they'll be compromised on both sides, and they'll something will happen. This feels more extreme. Like it really looks like he's just gonna have to go back, or the Nets are gonna have to come down so considerably on what they're asking for that. It's gonna look nothing like what they what they've been talking about, and maybe that will happen. But they don't seem to be pressed, and they shouldn't. The guy signed for four years. Durant made that mistake by signing that long term extension, thinking that it was gonna be sweet, and it wasn't. And someone asked this question, and this is the last thing I want to say before we quickly talk about Soto and wrap this show up. We don't even really know why Kevin Durant like demanded a trade, like or requested whatever. I know Adam Silver wanted to mince words with that. Do you know why, or do you have a suspicion of why he wants out of Brooklyn? Because we don't actually know that. That has not been that has not been vocalized by Rich Kleiman or any of the people in Durant's Woj. camp, or <laughs> Woj, who sometimes can just be you know the person who's talking for those people. Because I I really nice, don't know. Nice I, I've been sitting back with that question for over and over again. Like why? Like this is a very this is a rash move. It's a rash move because whenever you request a trade. There's a chance you may be back. So, like, it really is, like, you cutting ties with the organization really immediately because once you make it difficult on the fan, on yourself in terms of the fans, and, you know, Net fans aren't necessarily the most passionate group, but you know what I mean. Like, it, it creates a certain immediacy to your eventual departure when you make this move. So if it doesn't happen, then you could, you know, be in the James Harden situation we saw, you know, last season when he was in Houston. Where it's a super dog situation, and he's fat, and he's you know throwing the ball around in practice. He's wearing five shirts in warmups. Like it becomes this really almost like clown show that you really don't want to be a part of, especially if you're someone the caliber of Kevin Durant. So I sit back and I say, why did he do this? And what what was so immediate that he felt like he could not stay there anymore, or did he just really miscalculate this? Like did he really I think mean, this there, would be there's, easy there's and then they would just get him out? I don't I don't know. There have been these conspiracy theories that he was just doing it just to get Kyrie out of there. That, you know, hopefully that would speed up their timeline of getting rid of Kyrie. And, and what, he would turn around like, and say, okay, I'll come back? Like, what? like he kind of knew, maybe he kind of knew like this wasn't going to work. But 
it was gonna get Kyrie out of there. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting. That's an interesting theory. I've not heard that. I mean, it, yeah. In a yeah. way, I kind of, I kind of see, I kind of get that and see that. Because like, I mean, the, I mean, when it first came out, it was like, well, yeah, now yeah, they've both of them are gone, Kyrie. right? Yeah. Um, but which is why super, I think you see maybe this chess game happening where now Kyrie is acting like he never wanted to leave. Yeah. Um, there, there is three dimensional chess happening, and I almost feel like I can't even judge who's winning until I see how it ends because it's just people are saying and doing things that don't quite add up or make sense, but there's clearly a game being played that we're not privy to. It's not the first time that, that we've said that something involving the Nets, you know, people are doing or saying stuff that doesn't make sense. No, or that's something that Kyrie's involved with is, doesn't, yeah. make, doesn't make sense. No, right. that, would, that would not be the first time that uh, either of those two parties the fact that Kevin Durant has stooped himself to this uh, level with these two parties is where things are at. Um, yeah. Let's wrap this show, Kendall, talking about Juan Soto real quick. So the Washington Nationals say they are prepared to deal the all-star slugger after the home run derby champ turned down the team's 15-year, $440 million contract extension. That is right, $440 million guaranteed was turned down by Juan Soto, who was under contract for three years. And is expected now to receive plenty of suitors around Major League Baseball. The teams are pretty much lining up, getting their asking price ready. That asking price is expected to be super high. Nationals will likely seek, according to reports, MLB-ready players along with top prospects in any swap for Soto. They want the Durant package. Yes, they want the Durant package, and they actually will probably get it. Um, For Soto, who is just 23 years old, which is unbelievable. 23 year old, three, 23 years old, three years under control, and is 100% on the market trademark. He will not be on the Nationals past the deadline. I almost guarantee you that. Kendall, is Soto, in your opinion, worth the Kings' ransom of players and a contract north of $500 million that he is asking for? Um, Is he worth? Yes. The over $500 million? I mean,. I, I mean, I, I believe so. Um, I think it depends on, I think we're in a weird time in baseball where I think like, it's, I mean, it's a good, it's a good problem to have that where there are a lot of attractive young, there's a lot of attractive young talent um, out there. Uh, some of which are guys that are, you know, in situations where they're maybe trying to leave and so, I think some of these franchises, where you're paying a guy that much money, I mean, like you can't, you can't sign two or three of those guys. So you're almost going to commit to that guy being like your franchise player. Um, and so, I think we're seeing some of these franchises having to make the the, the decision in their mind, like, do I want to trade for Juan Soto now? And have to pay him all that, or is he the guy, or is it Shohei Otani in a couple of years? Is Aaron Judge coming up this offseason? Like, you know, I mean, I think if you just put them all, all on a table and say which guy would you rather sign right now, he might come up third, even though he is the youngest. Right. He might come up third because he's not as good as those other two guys, not as impactful as those other two guys have been. So, not to say Juan Soto isn't. An incredible player, his own right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a superstar. We're talking about probably the two best players in the league that would be free agents. 
um, in their primes right now. So it's it's a weird so it's a weird situation for him to be in. Um, that's why we're hearing some some unusual suspects, you know, sort of you know being in the mix. Like obviously San Diego is becoming a you know sort of a, a weird like big market franchise. Sorry, they, they they act like they're a big market franchise. Yeah. Um, under AJ Preller as GM, and they they've they their name has been valued about. Um, obviously, you know, I saw, they, Saint, they, I saw St. Louis being mentioned. St. Louis is, is, is Seattle's yeah, been mentioned. Many in many people's eyes, the favorites, which yeah. is um, which is strange. I know the Texas Rangers. Um, you know, he's a Scott Boris guy. They just signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon last yep. year. Uh, who are Scott Boris guys? They just drafted Kumar Rocker inexplicably at third in the MLB draft. Who's Scott Boris guy? So Texas Rangers have been thrown out there as a as a as a team that that's trying to get in the mix. So, but then you also have to you know you also have to reckon with and reconcile with the fact that you're not only you're going to be signing him to all this money, which will sort of take you out of the running for a guy like Judge or Otani, but that you're going to have to also trade your entire farm system, which. Teams are they are more inclined to do, um, and obviously the Dodgers are in that mix as well. But teams are always more more inclined to do. But um, it, it like that's that's you know not something that is ideal. So I think there are certain franchises like look, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. I, I you know his name's been we've been mentioned in that discussion yeah. as well. But I tend to think that they'd be more interested in getting a guy like Judge who went to Fresno State or a guy like Otani than they would. Juan Soto, but um, yeah, you, I think beggars can't be choosers when it comes to a player like him. And I didn't even mention the Mets. There's another team right. obviously oh, spending, yeah. uh, spending like they're uh, a big market franchise all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's spending how they should, should be considering they're a New York team. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Stevie, yeah, he's not gonna uh, penny pinch when it comes to big deals like this. Look, I, I do I think Juan Soto is worth that? Yes, I do think he's worth that. Because when you see a player of his age with the amount of years he's already locked up to to a, at a reasonable number, and then the years that, that you'd have to add onto the extension and what he's already accomplished. You're talking about a World Series champion. You're talking about a guy who's uh, uh, won a batting title. He's been an all-star the last two years. And, again, just talking about a guy scratching the surface, really, of his talent. Now, this year, a little bit of a down year. Um, the power numbers are there. The average that he normally hits for, which is usually spectacular, weirdly down. Average is down everywhere, though, so I don't want to freak out, but he's only batting 250. But the reason why I think Juan Soto is worth this price, Kendall, is because I think you can't. I think you have to one throw out this year. Don't, even though his numbers are still great and he's an all star, but don't, if you say, oh, he's only batting 250 this year, and maybe he ain't, maybe he ain't that dude, stop. Stop right there. He 100% is that dude, and I'll tell you why. You have to throw out the num for the guys who are the supreme elite talents. When they're on ter- when they're in terrible situations, when they know that their days are numbered, Juan Soto knew he was going to be on a new team last year when he was playing, and he still, you know, hit three thirteen, hit twenty nine home runs, drove in ninety five runs, walked one hundred and forty five times. That ridiculous um, um, patience he has at the plate, like he he knew he was going to be on another team, and he knew his team wasn't going to compete. He saw all his friends get traded. All the guys that he won championship with, you know, they all left town. So these are like these numbers from the last two years. Just throw them out the window. 
you got to think about what this guy has been even before that in his age. Because I think about two mega trades. These are older players, but mega trades where a guy looked like one thing. They went to their next destination. They looked totally different. Remember when Manny Ramirez was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers, Kendall? (laughs) Dodgers. Remember how he looked on the Boston Red Sox? Oh, yeah. He he was a clown. Like, he wasn't showing up to work. He was looking crazy. Like, he still was doing Manny Ramirez stuff, but he was like like a complete clown (laughs) with the Red Sox. That guy got to L.A. in a pennant race. He was like Ted Williams. He hit 396 for the rest of that season. That was his batting average. I'm not talking about his on-base percentage or, you know, slugging or any other. His batting average for the rest of that season was 396, along with 17 home runs. Think about C.C. Sabathia when he got traded from Cleveland to Milwaukee. He had, like, nine complete games in, like, a two-month stretch. (laughs) And he was pitching like he was Nolan Ryan, going nine innings, just devouring other uh, opposing lineups. He was those guys when they're not playing in high pressure, high stakes games, and they're just out there just collecting a check essentially. The numbers aren't going to look a certain way. So people will look at his numbers right now and say, well, Aaron Judge, who I don't have to give up any prospects for in theory, if he really is interested in maybe leaving the Yankees, is having a much better season, has better numbers. Okay, he's a little older, or he's a lot older, but maybe I got to look at him. No, that's the wrong way to approach this. I think Aaron Judge absolutely should be on people's radars, especially if you can't get Juan Soto. But I don't think you say, well, maybe we can get Judge or even Otani and say, maybe uh, let me not worry about Soto. Soto is the kind of of player that could be the best player in baseball for the next 10 years. He's that kind of talent. And if he goes to a winner in a team that is actually competing and actually in the pennant race, we already know what he could do. We've already seen this guy was 20 years old. <laughs> he was playing in the World Series and playing in the NLCS and playing at a high level. Like, we already know what time it is with this guy. He reminds me a lot of Miguel Cabrera when it comes to, like, prodigious talent. Like, throw out him playing on a bad team. None of that stuff matters. I've seen what this guy could do at the biggest stage. I've seen what he could do even just playing on this terrible team and still putting up crazy numbers. Juan Soto is worth the price. And I think for Washington, it's sad to see, you know, people fought so hard to get Washington baseball. I you know, I was, I'm young enough, old enough, rather, to remember the fight to bring a team back to Washington and taking the Expos and moving into Washington. And it took a little while, but they eventually found the right kind of ownership and the right group to, in terms of, you know, front office and on-field personnel to put a team together that could compete. And then eventually they won a World Series. But... It's it's sad to see like all that stuff happen, and now it's like an afterthought now. Baseball in Washington. Now it's like oh, we could just oh, you know, we want to lowball Juan Soto, and I say lowball because while 440 guarantees sounds a lot, the AAV on that he wouldn't have been a top yeah, 15. Se- he wouldn't have been a top seven or eight paid player in baseball. They gave him the Magic Johnson deal, right? They, exactly. They gave him the lifetime contract deal that on paper <laughs> and from a distance looks like amazing. But you're getting robbed because this guy <laughs> is worth at least 40 to $45 million a year, and you're only paying him $29 million a year on this deal. So it, it, su- it sucks for Washington baseball fans and people that were clamoring for Washington baseball that it's like, okay, you gave your World Series, now back to the being a bottom seller. 
that's kind of unfortunate. But if I was any of these teams, I would be all in on Juan Soto. I think he's he's him. And I think we saw that, even saw it in the home run derby. I know some people don't take that stuff seriously. I do. I think it shows a level of that's a bright that's a yeah, it's an alpha dog kind of thing, man. This is the brightest lights. It is definitely an alpha kind of competition. Big, Big strong guys just hitting the ball as far as they can for an hour or two hours. And yeah. everybody's watching. Like, this dude, and, and remember, he took out Otani last year in the home run derby. Yeah. He was in a swing off with Otani last year. He wanted that smoke last year. And then he sees this young kid, Julio Rodriguez, who I knew Julio Rodriguez was going to be a stud. I, that's funny. We talked about, you know, when I was on CBS Sports Radio the other day. I mentioned talking to Carl Dukes that I couldn't wait to see Julio Rodriguez in that competition. I knew he was going to be amazing. And yeah. he saw Julio Rodriguez and what he did. He was like, okay, I'll see you in the finals. He took out his his icon, Albert Pujols, right before. And I swung Rodriguez in the championship. He, he's a big-time player, man. Like, he is definitely the kind of guy you want to build around. And he's worth pretty much everything you're going to have to give up because you're going to have to give up a lot. i tell you. i tell you what, EJ. You know, I... I... You know, I like to get ahead of myself when it comes to MLB baseball free agency, but I think Aaron Judge might be a giant next year, man. I mean, that he, that I tell you what, that thing with the Yankees that that did you see that interview he did with the with the with, kid talking about the kid? Yeah, it was a little yeah. bit of a tough question to ask there, but okay, <laughs> it was asked. Nothing we can do right now. He had to answer it. <laughs> And he was like, oh, man, there's other good players on this team. Hey, Johnny, you know, I mean, we, we still got John Carlo. Yeah, John, John Carlo. I'll send you a John Carlo jersey. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Cole can give you an autographed baseball. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's yeah. right here. I can ask him for you. Yeah, I mean, that was – I don't think that was the only answer he could have gave there. I no. felt like he kind of gave them the worst answer, right? He could have oh, yeah, said something yeah. different. Look, I mean – he could have said anything's possible, and we'll see what happens hey, next year. Look, I mean, I know you like you got an Aaron Judge jersey. I mean, there's always Aaron Hicks, but no. <laughs> He's I like, mean, I hope you stay an Aaron Judge fan. Yeah, yeah. That sounds just like out of the NBA playbook with these guys yeah. that are team people just follow from team to team. I mean, Aaron Judge, man, shout out to you for betting on yourself. You were 100% right. I thought you were 100% right to bet on yourself the way you did because the Yankees were lowballing you. And I'm not even mad at you because I look. If you come to City Field or just leave the Bronx, I don't even care at this point. I'm that kind of petty Met fan that I'm good. But I'm just saying, dog, just for your own. Yeah. You know, they look. The Yankees ain't gonna give you any static because you you're dominating this year. But man, I saw that that interview. I'm like, that was the best answer he could give. And There's other good and players on this team. You could root another for interview that he gave. He's talking about you know after I think in the post game. It's like, look, it was great, you know. You know, to play for Dusty Baker, you know, I grew up a Giant fan and always idolized him and this and that. And now, you know, the Giant fans, are, are, they're running with it, man. Aaron Judge coming to the Bay 2023. But, no, it'll be it, – it's that is going to be a a quite the, the, the free agent race. Uh, I just don't – if I'm a Yankee fan, I don't trust Hal Steinbrenner to do what's right and to just pay whatever you need to, to, to keep him. No, I don't either. Sounds like sounds like almost penny pitching a little bit. Just strange. Like I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Max Kellerman or somebody uh, was talking about how this is very un Yankee like to lose a guy in free agency. The Yankees would normally be the ones to sign away to poach. Right. Yeah, they're the ones <laughs> taking other top talent or trading yeah. guys that they people didn't think they could trade for. Like yeah, 
I don't want to look. I will say this: I I have to eat a lot of crow in this Yankee season. I thought this Yankee oh, season was going to end up in disappointment. I thought that their off season was a was a borderline disaster, and I could not have been more wrong. They've been uh, a juggernaut. They they struggled a little bit going to All Star break. I don't even care about that. It's they they they're like a million games ahead, so that's going to happen. They've been a juggernaut this season. Every move they've made has turned to gold. Matt Carpenter has come in there, and he's he he's literally swinging like he's Barry Bonds. Like it doesn't. This guy was out of baseball. And looked like he was going to be on the, you know, literally had to retire soon. And he's showing up, and every time he plays, he's hitting home runs. It's it's absurd. The Yankees have had yeah. a tremendous season, and a lot of it is because of Aaron Judge. And I've been wrong on a lot of things about the Yankees this season coming into the season. But I don't think I don't think I'm going to be wrong about this. I I have a bad suspicion. It's a little bit of rooting interest, but there's a, there's a very good chance Aaron Judge isn't even a Met, so it doesn't even matter for me. I have a bad suspicion that. He's gonna get some cra- some crazy offer because it always it, baseball always happens. It only happens more so than even other sports again because there's no salary cap. And some I team's gonna, some team's gonna offer him a contract they can't even pay him. Like how many times do we see that? A guy team offer got crazy money and they realize oh three at three years we can't afford this contract and then they have to trade him. Like yeah. they're gonna offer that. That's the kind of deal he's gonna get. Happens to me on own be the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you got a franchise. Yeah, because you got a budget, and you're like, "Yo, my budget they can't doesn't doesn't match for what." This I'm is. like, "Wait, I, gotta, I can offer. I can, I'm the Rays. I can offer Aaron Judge 800 million. Yeah, it's like good luck. And it's not gonna stop a me. year. Yeah, <laughs> in a year you gotta. They're not gonna let the I'm game the won't let you can. The, rent, the game won't let you continue. They're gonna say the rent is due. Yeah, I <laughs> unless you dump that contract. Everything I learned about accounting is from playing MLB. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you have to balance a budget. So, yeah, that was. <laughs> That is yeah. right, and somebody's gonna do it. Yeah, somebody's somebody's gonna do it with the Soto thing too. If it's not the Mets or one of these, I, I'm places. hearing the Kansas City Royals. People are talking about Judge to the Royals. The no, thing. The, 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 the biracial, uh, the biracial Kings, uh, Mahomes and Judge gonna. I mean, who Mahomes uh, is? I only call them biracial he, Kings because shout out to the rapper Logic. Uh, Aaron Judge is on Logic's last album, and Logic referred to him as like a fellow biracial King. So that's why I, <laughs> when you said. Kansas City, I thought Mahomes because he's part of that new ownership group now. So I thought, oh. yes. So that was that. So for people who were like, why is he bringing up the fact that they're biracial? That was why. Very yes. deep, deep cut reference, but it made sense. But they, they, they are a, they're an interesting. I mean, you know, Mahomes, like you say, he's in the ownership group, and he's got a, he's got, he's got a five hundred million dollar contract of his own, basically. So uh, he could try and he can try and f- help fit the bill, but. Yeah, this is gonna be it's gonna be quite the quite the race. And I mean, at what point if you're a team like I mean, the Yankees are good, so obviously not gonna trade Aaron Judge. But if you're a team like the at the, uh, the Angels, like your Otani's trade value is never gonna be higher than it is now, you know, or never gonna be higher than it will be in the offseason. Like, at what point do you look at saying, do we move Otani? And what could we get back potentially for Otani if it if we feel like it's not worth paying Otani and if we feel like he may not even stay? Do you say like that's the word? Is like do you go to him and say, look, well, we want to, we want you back. We'll give you, a, we'll offer you to do the same thing the national did. Here's the extension offer. Right, some bogus like, extension that looks good. Yeah, yeah. So anybody who doesn't know anything about contracts, and then right, and if he, say, if he oh says no, no, he turned down, he turned down five hundred million for fifty years. Right, exactly. <laughs> Somebody's gonna be like some, some uh, you know, Joe from Idaho is gonna be like, why would he turn down five hundred million for fifty years? <laughs> that's more than my million? That, That's more than my family made in the last five generations. Exactly. It's like, come on, man, it's, that's not how this works. 
Yeah. Um, and so, like, if if Otani, if they, I mean, if he's on the board, like, that's, that's, you know, I mean, we talk about getting a King's Ransom. He's older. Yeah, I think he's going to be 29 or he is 29. But he's two, right now, he's two players in one. And even if you don't buy that, he's going to be able to be do both, you know, over the course of his career. He's certainly not going to be able to do it both long term. But even if you say, oh, he's going to stop doing one in three years, he's still so good at either one. I think he's going to hit long term. This is my guess. I but agree with still, that. Yeah. You know, even the if pitching he's part, maybe you're a little concerned with. But, yeah, I think he'll hit yeah. for a while. Yeah, he'll hit long. He hits. He just he may get better as a hitter if he if he doesn't. Right. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, it turned out like he actually was better when he started pitching again than he was when he was when he was out with Tommy John and just hitting. So yeah, but yeah, I like I yeah, I, I think there's a lot of interesting politics going on with baseball free agency over the next couple of years. It will be interesting to see with Otani with Judge. I think with Otani. The, 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 first of all, man, the Angels, they need to find... I'm trying to say something that's... need not get fired. What am I trying to say here? Artie Moreno is a problem. Uh, I guess that's what needs to be said. He's yes. just one of the worst sports owners, and I think nobody really knows about it because they're in Anaheim. But he's told by a guy who just spends ridiculous money and none of it makes sense and can't seem to build a decent roster. In uh, an adjacent big market and a team that markets itself to that LA market. And I don't know what he's really done since they won that world series back in like Oh two, what he's really done for major league baseball as an owner at this point, except depress <laughs> the value of a, a team that they care a lot about, but that's kind of what's happened. And it's, it's, it's crazy that you have Shohei Otani. It's funny. Like someone made that tweet that like, like it seems like every night, every other night, like there's some, there's somebody, Otani and Trout break some incredible record, and the tweet ends with the. By the way, the Angels lose eight to five, and that like actually keeps happening. Like that tweet yes. keeps happening. Like Otani is the first pitcher, first player to ever strike out ten guys and hit two home runs. Angels lose seven four. <laughs> like this is stuff where you're just like how like how do you actually have guys as good and you can't win. And their roster buildings, it's just, it doesn't, it's just a mess. And they're going to blow this Otani thing just like they've blown every other opportunity they've had when they brought in Mike Trout. Talent. Shoot. Mike Trout's going to, he's, he's going to be Captain America in the World Baseball Classic. He's like, I got to win something, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah, he's Denzel Washington. He's like, I'm leaving here with something. Yeah, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Trout's like, I'm know, from around the way. I'm leaving with something. Thing. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm I'm never winning no championship here. So he's like, yeah. I'm le I'm leaving with something. So that's why he's like, I'll I'll, I'll play the Dave Wright role and be Captain America for the World Baseball Classic. Um, we gotta wrap this show, Kendall. But in like in like less than a thirty seconds, Miami has officially dropped the turnover chain. Is that a good or bad move? I thought they already dropped it. No, it's official <laughs> today. Today is the official okay. thing. Uh, my, Mario, Mario Cross the Ball has made the official announcement that the turnover chain. His wording was that the, this is not part of our culture. <laughs> I love it, man. I mean, I loved it when I, when when the, that was the that was the word that that's the way they were going, and uh, like 
I think the quote, I think it was from their off the line coach uh, when when he sort of teased that this was they were this was the direction they were going was that like, you know, we didn't here come here for gimmicks. We came here to play football. Like that. I mean, that like, I, like Mario Cristobal is, is is as serious as it gets. Like there is none of this this gimmick stuff. I mean, look the turnover channel. You're a Miami guy. Uh, you were you were very much a for the brand. You know, we gotta. You it was know, a great. It was a great move for the brand. Yeah, the great move for the brand, and, and you were very much a team like, regardless of situation, you got to look, you get a turnover, you got to do it. Like it's just right. you know, it you got to stick to the gimmick. Out, like this is what you're doing. Yeah, you got to stick to the gimmick. <laughs> you're, you're you're two you and know? five. You got to you got to bring it out. It doesn't matter. You know, like and like that. <laughs> that just that looks corny. You know, after <laughs> you know when the team just wasn't good. Right. You know, or they, you know the Alabama game. The Alabama game is to me. You know where they're getting beat by you know forty points and they get a turnover in the fourth and the guy they, they bring out the team looking all sad. I mean that was that was yeah. a joke, you know. And that I think that was the day the turnover chain died. You know, yeah, like, I don't know. one way or another. If that was the day, it, it became not cool. That plus like just all these teams co-opting it and just doing their that own. That was a, that was another dumpers. tough thing. It's kind of like it's, it honestly, it's kind of like with the Knicks. So like Bing Bong. It's like once you do something <laughs> like that, it just. Yeah opens yourself up to yeah it's a fad yeah to to then the trash talk that goes on the other side and if you can't back it up which miami couldn't then you open yourself up to that yeah i mean i am totally fine with it i think it was great that mario uh manny diaz brought it in when he did i thought it's smart i thought it made sense the program needs something it did give them a jolt and that time is coming on and i knew the tournament chain was cooked when you know all these recruits that keep signing to miami and there's been a lot of them been a great recruiting cycle for Mario Cristobal so far. Uh, none of these, you know, pictures of them in their Miami uniforms shows the turnover chain, which was, uh, you know, part of a lot of the recruiting pictures I saw over the last four years. So I saw that. I was like, okay, turnover chain is all is over. And um, and yeah, I think Mar- I think Mario's right. I think that the offensive line coach is right. Like uh, you know, um, uh, mirror ball. Like yeah, it's the time for gimmicks are over. Like we've tried all the smoking mirrors. To make Miami good, and none of it has been sust- sustainable. We've had good moments, but nothing sustainable. So, what Chris Wall is building looks sustainable. So, this kind of thing is unnecessary. And I just think also, like, I don't think you need to continue something from an era of football that didn't really result in anything. If Miami won a championship in that era, I could say, okay, no, it's part of the culture now. I'm like, yeah, you should keep doing it. They they got up to be number two, you know, you know, in the polls, which is nice. But they didn't win a championship. They never won even a New Year's Six Bowl game. So never won a conference. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's okay. I'm, I'm fine with this. And I think that uh, hopefully there will be other reasons for Miami to celebrate without having to use a turnover chain. But I thought that was something that had to be mentioned because, you know, I'm the Miami Hurricanes person on the show. And that is the news of the day from uh, the U. But shout-out to Crystal Ball. Shout-out to the U. Hopefully they have a great year this season. Shout out to you guys for rocking with us on this episode. Again, I know it was a little long, but um, there's a lot to get to. We had a lot to say. Shout out to y'all who've been waiting for this episode. I know it's been a little bit of a while, but uh, things have been a little, a little chaotic. You know, again, it wasn't necessarily a planned hiatus, but your boys are back and we'll be here for the time being. So I want to thank you guys for listening in to this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network, that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, where you can find those episodes. 
Also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on Facebook as well, New Generation Media. And follow us individually on social media. Kendall's on Twitter, New Gen Ken. I'm on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out so much. We really appreciate it. Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Till next time. Peace.